Anger by Alexander Augustus Narrated by Daniel Collard Volume 3, Chapter 1 Hail pounded on the root-cracked road. The greyness of the sky was reflected in the greyness of the puddles. A grey field with one sad sheep in it was the only thing to look at, its fleece overgrown and preventing it from squeezing through the gaps in the fence. The sleeper train was still not moving, having broken down for a second time, and Elizabeth was fretful inside the purse of the awful woman from Cup's apartment block. Is Cup still alive? Elizabeth agonised. And can Dr. Buttercake do something to heal him? Elizabeth remembered Cup's arm hanging limply from the shower, the veins pulsating against the constraints of the belt around his neck. His eyes rolled back in his head. The last thing she had seen, Cup was being bundled into an ambulance by key workers who had little interest in him. Elizabeth's job was to convince Dr. Buttercake to have him transported immediately to Balmoral for treatment. Elizabeth had set her mind on saving his life. Grief is the price we pay for love, she repeated, attempting to calm her fraught nerves. Was it love she felt? Perhaps not for Cup, but for the embers of humanity which he represented for her. His passion, his obstinacy, his rebellious spirit. Elizabeth was realising she had made a habit of surrounding herself with rebels, and felt Cup to be not entirely unlike Margaret, or indeed Philip, although perhaps a little more extreme. But they were both gone, and Elizabeth and Cup were still here. She could be a passive bystander no longer. She would save him if she could. The apartment manager's name was Denise Mulholland. Denise seemed physically incapable of rest, and fidgeted inside her hazmat suit for the entire journey like a chihuahua constrained inside a handbag. It had taken many phone calls to Shell Labs for Denise to make any headway. Her direct manner did not help her. I need to speak to Dr. Leopold Buttercake, please! She would announce. Tell him I've got Her Majesty the Queen here with me. She's a £5 note. Yes, I'll hold. She was cut off 17 times. Denise had refused to desist, and eventually an exasperated Edward Snippet had answered. Is this some kind of joke? He sneered. Queen Elizabeth was a great leader in this country, a head of state respected around the world. She was also a close personal friend, and you should have more respect. But then when Denise began to explain how Elizabeth had arrived at and left the Shell Labs nearly a decade ago, Edward went very quiet. As she read the blow-by-blow -blow account from Elizabeth's surface, Edward's silence blackened until she said, Exchange for a pack of Haribos, tankfastics, and a box of toothpicks. Weird, but that's what she says. At this, Edward growled. An appointment was soon arranged. 
Denise packed Elizabeth into her overnight bag and off they went. The train journey was endless. They passed through innumerable abandoned stations and abandoned towns. The countryside was flooded and overgrown. Broken buildings half stood everywhere. Elizabeth tried not to focus on the desolation, and Denise helped, pulling Elizabeth from her purse every so often to share some gossip about a second uncle or cousin's cousin who had had some kind of affair or fight or redundancy or other drama in whatever place they were passing near. Then she'd shake Elizabeth like a magic eight ball and scan for a response. A few words at a time, Elizabeth pushed the nervous energy around her surface and formed words in reply. She was getting better at this, as if the horror of Cup's hanging body had unblocked something within her, and once she knew she could do it, the ability only increased with practice. It was intuition, after all. This shell had been designed by her own mind. Without warning, the carriage chugged and clanged forward, catapulting Denise across the aisle. Thank goodness, Elizabeth thought. The delay had been only three hours, a light stop compared with the previous nine-hour delay outside Newcastle. Pearls were often burrowing into the tracks, or swooping down onto power lines and carriage roofs, so rail transport in the UK had become almost untenable. The network had never been known for its efficiency, even before the virus came, but now there were few human engineers left with the expertise or resources to maintain it. Large swathes of the country had dropped off the grid, so any technical problems encountered in a blackout zone required solutions to be brought in from other places along the line. The few remaining key workers for transport did their best to patch up whatever problems arose. Denise had been easily convinced to take the trip, and although she made attempts to seem critical of Elizabeth's story, in reality she was far too swept up in the excitement of it all to care. If you're really Elizabeth, then tell me! She would cluck every 15 minutes, belatedly realising that she knew very few of the answers to the questions she was cooking up. Without the emptying of the apartment building, she had no other responsibilities, nowhere else to be, and no one waiting for her. This event was the most meaningful thing to have happened in a long while, and so she bought into it with gusto, just as she bought into the Shell Lottery once a month. You there! Feet down! Feet down! Denise screeched to the youths at the other end of the carriage, gesturing violently. The rest of the train was almost entirely empty, and Elizabeth was sure that she had sat in this spot just to police the children. She enacted a confrontational loneliness. Denise slipped to the toilet, popped out her protective mask, and reapplied her thick makeup, as she did every few hours readjusting her ginger wig and shooting excitable text messages off to the disconnected numbers of old lovers, family members, neighbours. It had become a kind of ritual, and she was no longer disappointed by the lack of reply. In her head, she was the protagonist of some important story, rather than an ageing battle-axe with yellowed nails, a balding head, and terminal poisoning from the environment. Every once in a while, she was overcome with a coughing fit, which threw her body forward and back like a whiplash victim. She slipped a trembling hand under her helmet and wiped the hacked-up blood from her lips. Ain't no problem at all, Denise, she'd say to herself. It'll all come right when you transform yourself and enter the garden as a beautiful pearl, like a 
Tiffany crystal lampshade. Elizabeth had made a royal promise that Denise would be allowed to undergo shell transformation when she arrived at Balmoral, although she had no idea if she had the authority to grant this wish. Who ran Shell Corp now? Who was the Prime Minister these days? Was there one? As far as Elizabeth knew, a royal promise was something she had just made up. As the train clunked its way towards the town of Stonehaven, she sensed the wild and abandoned landscapes becoming more orderly. Crumbling field walls further south did little to hold back the jungle of weeds which was taking over England, but here, further into the highlands, the walls were integral, and the frozen winter ground was being prepared for crops. In the distance, a herd of cattle roamed. This in itself was not so strange. The remaining humans had to get sustenance from somewhere. However, something about it troubled Elizabeth. There were pearls on the land, not gallivanting freely, but seeming to be involved in the processes of farming, drilling or digging into the ground, sowing the winter seeds, pulling weeds. At first, she assumed these pearls were chewing at the wildflowers because they liked eating them, or digging at the ground because they enjoyed it. But then she noticed a slow and heavy creature with interlocking wheels lifting and flipping the soil in lines, and behind it rolled a smaller pearl spraying fertilizer. Further on, a flying pearl with spiked arms appeared to prod at cattle as it ushered them through a gate and into pens. Frightfully peculiar, she thought with an instinctual foreboding. Rarely have I seen pearls as productive in the south. She shook the thought off and focused on Cup. They were approaching with haste now. The train pulled into Aberdeen Station, jolting violently. Denise, delirious with lack of sleep, had caked more makeup onto herself than a clown and was almost doing caffeine-powered handsprings out of the train and along the platform. She sped through the empty station, exiting into golden midday light. The atmosphere had a harsh coldness to it that Elizabeth remembered well. They went through the cobbled square towards the bus stop, each smack of Denise's high heels hitting Elizabeth like a slap. It was a fair bus ride to Balmoral, but there were no other passengers on board, so the driver ignored the schedule entirely and took them straight there. Gusts of memory blew over Elizabeth as the bus trundled up winding roads. Soon she felt the familiar landscape of the Balmoral estate around her. She could also sense the presence of pearls who were not only engaged with weeding and planting, but also transporting materials, fixing, carrying, even spiralling through sewage pipes in order to unclog them. Goodness, what is going on here? She wondered. These pearls have been set to work. The entire estate appeared to be functioning like a harmonious clock. The granite had never shone so white, the lawns and topiaries never so immaculate, the herb gardens never so fragrant. It was not just the pearls who were behaving oddly, she felt a different rhythm from the people as well. The key workers were nothing like their bent-over and anguished counterparts in London. They were positively glowing with good health. They seemed to be quite a different species than the gaunt phantoms down south. They were working very little, strolling, hazmat-clad, hand in hand, reading books behind cosy windows, chatting through their masks, fishing. 
It was uncanny, and unsettling, almost too good to be true. It seemed very much like a utopia. For the humans, at least. Denise seemed to shrink into herself. Elizabeth had always seen her display a harsh confidence, a substitute for self-control. As with many leavers, Denise had put her faith in lottery calls. Every week she believed it might be her turn to win, that this was the only route to salvation. Would you ever? She said, simmering under her breath. Look at all these bloody... You call these workers? Can't see a lick of... Up here in Scotland, all sponging on benefits. It's madness. It's as though they don't want to become pearls at all. Key workers save pearls, not the other way round. No self-respecting... It's slavery of pearls, actually. I'm glad you can't see it, your majesty. All your glamorous pearl friends here, earls and baronesses, no doubt, set to work like common labourers in the fields. But Elizabeth could see it, and she was bursting. No, burning with questions for Leopold's buttercake. Denise hopped off the bus, and Elizabeth sensed her country home in the near distance. Though fashioned as a castle, Balmoral had been built as a Victorian country house. With its seven-story medieval defensive tower, grand stone doorways, faux battlements, and pepper-pot turrets fashioned like those of a 16th-century French chateau, the whole building exuded a make-believe feel, a daydream from another century. Denise adjusted her mask and squinted across the lawns. Despite the winter sparseness, she could see the neatness of the gardens and a wealth of planting, betraying a richness of resources and manpower beyond anything people were experiencing in the austerity of London. I'm glad they've got time for essential gardening, your majesty, she said sardonically, and reached out to push open the gates, only to jump back in fright when they moved independently concertinaing in on themselves at each side of the stone barrier wall. The gate was a pearl, with insectile claws clasped at each side of the stone barrier wall. Its legs were metallic poles which jangled like wind chimes as they retracted and expelled a sweet lavender smoke into the air, and gave out a loud but gentle sound like that of an accordion. Elizabeth noticed a buzzing in the sky, but she had reason for once to doubt her sensory perception for it seemed like there were a pair of human legs flying towards them, clamped within the grasp of some hovering creature. Elizabeth was horrified. The thing rotated and beat the air with large, papery flaps. Denise gasped aloud. The creature was shaped like a foxglove, or the acoustic end of a saxophone, and must have been three meters in height. It was composed of rings rotating like helicopter blades, spinning fast enough to conceal the inner core, which appeared more fleshy, like banana peel. Waves of air from the rings of the pearl buffeted everything, and Denise struggled to catch her breath until it settled and its rotations stopped. The human feet that emerged from one end stood on the ground. Two gloved hands appeared under the fleshy rim of the opening and pulled the skin up, revealing a sweaty head under a plastic mask. It was Leopold Buttercake, Elizabeth was aghast. Surely this behaviour violated the tenets of the Shell Act. Pearls being used in the Garden of Shells for manual labour, transport, even as constructed elements like gates. Pearls will not be exploited for human gain. That was one of the key principles of the Act. 
Before Elizabeth could draw his attention, Denise flapped about Leopold, explaining what terrible trouble it had been travelling from London. It's taken us nearly two days! Leopold flicked some pearl plasma from the shoulder of his hazmat. Hello there, he said, extending a hand. You must be Miss Mulholland. Your reputation precedes you. Everyone who worked at the labs had heard about the mad woman who phoned relentlessly, announcing herself as a messenger of Queen Elizabeth who was a five-pound note, and everyone other than Edward and Leopold had had a good laugh about her. We broke down three times on the way up here, and now I find I've walked into some kind of medieval community where people are carrying on and pearls are doing all the work. I'm not just here for my reward, you know. Some of us key workers have a sense of duty. I'm a proper citizen, and like this lot you've got here. Leopold looked Denise over, judging how unstable she was. Elizabeth knew he was looking for her. I have to be seen to be believed, she thought. Come now, Miss Mulholland. Come to cafeteria for a cup of tea and we'll discuss the whole thing. We'll sort this mystery of the five-pound note too, he added casually. As Leopold reached out, Elizabeth felt something strange about his presence. There was a disturbance emanating from inside him, feeling like a high-frequency buzzing, more mechanical than organic. Don't patronise me, clucked Denise, who pulled Elizabeth from her purse and waved her in Leopold's face. As soon as she did, Elizabeth flashed red and blue patterns like a siren, the words, Emergency! 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 streaming across her surface. Leopold's eyes popped. He reached out to touch the note, but Denise snatched it away. Overstimulated and exhausted, she was on the verge of a breakdown. I want what I was promised! Leopold calmed himself, became forbidding and serious. Calm down! He boomed. The weird buzzing intensified and seemed to penetrate Elizabeth on a visceral level, as if his intent flowed over her like a current. He extended a hand. You will get what you came here for, if you'll only allow me to see her. Denise ceded. He took the five-pound note and inspected it. We meet again, Dr. Buttercake! Elizabeth flashed across her surface in regal handwriting. My God! Leopold whispered, observing Elizabeth's surface change before his eyes. He pulled a small magnifying glass from his pocket and held it up to her. The design on the note was pixelated with minuscule dots, which expanded and contracted, and as they contracted, they changed in hue and intensity. It was exactly like the chromatophoric skin of an octopus. Goodness me! He stammered, a decade of accumulated authority slipping away. Your Majesty! He tried to wipe his oily brow with Elizabeth as though she were a handkerchief, quite forgetting the plastic layer of his hazmat helmet. Oh, ma'am, uh, uh, please, uh, beg your pardon, I, uh, I promise, I, I didn't mean to do it. I mean, uh, what happened to you and now uh, with the pearls uh, helping our work is we didn't plan it this way. Enough, Dr. Buttercake, I have an emergency, Elizabeth cried. We will discuss the rest in due time. Now I require your attention and cooperation. She was interrupted by Edward Snippet, who had appeared in the doorway of the tower and ran towards where they stood by the gates, shouting, 
is it true? Tell me, Leopold, is it true? He reached them, his hands jabbing the air around Elizabeth, desperate to grasp at her. Let me see! Leopold held the note in front of Edward's face. Hello, Edward, flashed Elizabeth. It is I, your queen. We don't have time for pleasantries. You like Earl Grey with a slice of lemon and a custard cream. Once in the Elysee Palace, you had to take responsibility for a rude noise I myself had emitted. You served me well for many years, and now I require you to do so again. It's her, Edward gasped. Your Majesty, I spent you on sweets in the petrol station. Denise was not happy about being ignored. Give that back to me, thank you very much. She grabbed at Elizabeth, but Leopold would not let go and lifted the note into the air. Take care of this fine lady, Edward. Then come to meet us in our offices, he said. Denise protested. I want to transform right now! I was made a royal promise! Leopold scoffed. Royal promise? <laughs> Take a few days before you do anything. We have other options besides transformation. We've been developing different kinds of products that might suit your temperament a little better. You'll see. And if you still want to transform, we'll make it happen. Denise looked from Edward to Leopold and back again. She shrugged, unable to find an argument against this proposal. Leopold pulled the foxglove-shaped pearl's flesh down over his body and felt it contract around him, like pulling on a tight jumper. To landing pad, please, he said, voice muffled within the pearl, which propelled its rings around, faster and faster, like a helicopter. Elizabeth felt a bit queasy as she gyrated inside of it. Then the ground fell away, and they rose up and flew towards the high walls of the castle. Elizabeth could feel the buzzing, which seemed to have its source in Leopold's head, running like a current between the man and the pearl, like it was a force that connected them. They flew between the tower's turrets and landed on the flat roof. The pearl relaxed its moist inner skin and released them. Quite perverse, Elizabeth thought. Leopold marched to the door of the tower room, before turning back to thank the Pearl. That'll be all for now, John P162. Take a rest. The creature quivered and sunk down into itself, a guard suddenly relieved of duty. How utterly curious, Elizabeth thought. They really do as they're told. The whole world had flipped on its head. Leopold set Elizabeth down on a desk, 19th century Cuban mahogany, topped with treated green leather. Elizabeth knew the desk well. She had selected it, as she had bought or approved many of the furnishings inside the castle. The antique bookshelves had been cleared of the anthologies and encyclopedias which used to adorn them, and now sported dusty jars of specimens. Twitching flesh and body matter, with wires and circuits sticking out of them, dead creatures and fetuses of failed experiments. These stood alongside technical instruments, soldering irons, jam jars of organic matter with electrical nodes attached, and petri dishes containing dried up cultures. This had been Elizabeth's home, but now it seemed more like a Halloween shop. Dr. Buttercake had made himself quite comfortable. He pulled off his mask and unzipped himself. Soon we won't be needing these at all, 
he said as he flung the suit aside. We're hopeful our new technologies will make them redundant. Regeneration of human tissue with fungal spores and so on. We just needed the freedom to test without getting tied up in regulations. Elizabeth's paper eyes seemed to follow Leopold around the room, burning a hole straight through him. He averted his eyes from her as he spoke. Now, I know what you're thinking, your majesty, that right from the start there were some kind of conspiracy to harness the power of t pearls, maybe even to get rid of the elite, maybe even to get rid of you, but it weren't intentional. All of this, using the pearls, it just kind of happened. Can you... Can you hear me okay? Yes, Leopold, Elizabeth replied. His intuition was correct. She had been thinking along those lines. Your Highness, after the Shell Act were implemented, well, those plans were made for the old world, when we still had material resources, and a useful population, and qualified experts. The new world is different. All the politicians transferred themselves into shells. No long-term plan was ever drawn up for the Remainers. There were no one to even organise elections, and no one to vote for. Everyone were desperate to transform, but your lot, those who had money and influence, they got there first and said, to hell with the rest. Even the board of directors of Shellcourt have been quiet. I don't know who's left, who has transformed and who hasn't. We're not the only lab these days. He paused and wiped his brow with a tissue. I did ask them, each one who came here demanding their turn. I asked them who was organising all the leftover key workers, the Remainers, but no one seemed bothered. My staff looked to me, and the people left behind looked to Shellcorp. But more than that, the government looked to us too. Somehow I guess we were left running the country, or at least this bit of it. Oh lord, oh lord. Leopold had become flustered again, and sweat had soaked through his lab coat in unsightly patches. We needed the manpower, or a uh, pearl power. That's the point I wanted to make. None of it were by design. And losing you were a mistake. You have to believe that. First things first. You must help young Cup. The lad in the coma, yes, ma'am. Edward took care of his transport already, I believe. Dr. Buttercake adjusted himself uncomfortably in his chair and scanned the boxes of Elizabeth's belongings, still stored from the previous decade. We didn't brainwash them, ma'am, he burst out, or tamper with them. He thrust himself back into lecturing mode. What we didn't realise early on is how willingly the pearl imprints, like a baby bird. In the organic chamber, it's listening and growing, and it imprints on the worker looking after it, like an instinct. Like a child to a mother, or a dog to an owner. But more than that, it's like a dependency that never wears off. You see, I was always the most present person in the labs, and I was always the one who signed off the pearls for release. I insisted on doing it personally so I could be sure they were ready. They seemed a bit shy at first, but I'd always say the same thing. Go. Be free. And they'd go. You saw that with your own two eyes, your majesty. So the pearls would go and be free, and they took no notice of anything anyone else said, because they imprinted on me, you see. We never heard anything more from most of them. But one day, just by chance, I didn't say, go be free. The wretched door got jammed, and I called to the security lad. Come on, son, get the damn door open. But it were the Pearl who responded. It used its tentacles to prise open the door. Now I was scientifically interested, so I told it, close the door. 
And it did. I asked, dig the grass, plant the seed, pull the weeds. And it did all that I asked, ma'am. Leopold stood and paced to the window. See, I'd been getting reports of pearls in London, mostly pearls of high-profile people, stalking around the places they used to live or work, and I never knew why. But then it hit me. Sometimes, if I got a client I didn't particularly care for, I might say to them, Go now, back where you belong, or Off you go, back where you came from, you're not wanted here, or words to that effect. Or even, go and make yourself useful for once. And apparently they did. Guarding things and helping people. Quite funny when you think about it. Everyone has an idea of what freedom is, but deep down in our subconscious minds, most of us just want to be told what to do. Elizabeth thought about Pearl Boris Johnson, guarding his old haunts and stalking the streets of London. You have explained to me the means by which you control these spirits, but not why. Why would you not command them all to be free, rather than ordering them to work the land? You have removed their free will and enslaved them. Well, you left us, burst out Leopold passionately, choking a little. His temple pulsed, and Elizabeth felt a palpable wave through her body. Not just you, your majesty, but all of you. The so-called ruling classes, the political class, the royals, celebrities. Leopold was now pacing backwards and forwards like an agitated animal. All those with the prominent platforms and big mouths flapping away. You left your people without instructions, and they were pushed into the gutters to keep you living your lives. Your abstract lives floating about in the sky, while those left behind pushed pencils and assembled parts and grew food and cleaned floors and rationed, 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 and curfewed and trained and sacrificed their educations, aspirations, sacrificed their lives to get you lot into the Garden of Shelves. It weren't meant to be that way. I wanted us to go together, as a people. But the boards took it out of me hands. Leopold's passion had taken them both by surprise. His eyes were red and pricking at the ducts. You can't accuse me of exploiting those who had such freedom of choice. Many of us never had such luxury. Some of us have dependents who failed the psych tests. Leopold quietened and wiped his eyes in the arm of his sleeve. My son was sick. I mean... He was always sick, until the implant started working. But some days were worse, and the little fellow was coughing up blood. So I asked Pearl Rupert Murdoch to weed the bloody gardens for once. He's the big maggoty-looking one out on the lawn, on death's door when we transformed him. Leopold pointed out to the plump monstrosity diligently chewing up the weeds from the grass outside. And it felt good, ma'am, to get the help. I know it were wrong. But my lad, he had problems, and I needed to work on the technology that would help him. I didn't have time for gardening. And then, see, one of the kiddies in town has such a terrible time due to autism, and his mammy couldn't cope with all the chores, and he couldn't transform, and the implant didn't work. So I asked a pearl to take the garbage out for them, and run a few other errands. It made such a difference. I got the pearl of a former baroness to sow the seeds for the harvest, and of course former Prime Minister Pearl David Cameron were excited to herd the pigs about, and try his hand with the other farm animals, and before you know it, the key workers were able to take days off, get some rest, recover their energies a bit. I asked the pearls to help out a little, 
I know it were wrong because they couldn't refuse, but imagine the possibilities. If we could use the pearls not only for chores, but to suck poison from the oceans, or capture atmospheric carbon, or turn plastics into organic material, those responsible for destroying the old world could save the new one. Leopold massaged his temple with an index finger. With pearl technology inside us, the human body can be enhanced. We know so much more now. Elizabeth was quite shocked. She reflected on the irony of old politicians and nobility performing manual labour and household chores for common people, and asked, When my transformation is complete, will I have free will? Or will you make a zombie out of me? Leopold looked thoughtful. Your question is, will I allow you to be free? He looked pensive. I guess having that power makes me a bit like your god. He chuckled uncomfortably. Although gods didn't answer to a board of directors backed by military force. Elizabeth was repelled by this line of reasoning. You will find I was the one appointed by god, Leopold. As head of state and your queen, I hereby order you to order me to have free will. And I will thank you for promptly getting me into that incubator. Elizabeth often became bossy when she was afraid. Leopold replied, I'm sorry, things don't work like that anymore. With all due respect, your majesty, I am no more under your command than I am under the control of this here stapler. With the demeanour of a conflicted but resolute man, he clicked the stapler down and shot out a stray staple which pinged against the wall. Except this stapler is actually of more use to me than you are, ma'am. See, I have to take my orders from London. You're a five-pound note in a country which no longer uses money. I'd be hard-pushed to exchange you for anything now. Oh dear, sighed Elizabeth, a feeling of deep foreboding and powerlessness taking her over. Leopold continued, Now this lad, Cup, I should tell you that he had a number of fairly serious underlying conditions before he, well, before he, you know, used his free will to depart this mortal coil. Leopold looked down at his desk and rearranged some of the scattered papers. You should know that, in his condition, we'll need to push the envelope in terms of how experimental we go. The man's unconscious, and his shell, too, could emerge unconscious. But there are things I've been waiting to try, you know. Our implants, for example, use fungal cells to communicate organically and electronically across different frequencies. We need to regenerate those parts of the mind that communicate. Either way, a lot can be learned from a man in a coma. Two birds and all that, ma'am. I see. Well, full steam ahead, Elizabeth said stoically. For better or worse, you truly have ushered in a new age. Please do your best for this young man. And remember, he is not a lab rat. He had a life once too. Leopold cupped his face in his hands and sighed. I'll have to ask the board about your incubation. It's no light matter, as I'm sure you appreciate. You're the head of state for a previous administration. <laughs> but leave it to me. I promise you, we will discuss it further. In the meantime, Edward will be your guardian.